Welcome to Accounting High. There's so much out there. There's so many things to learn. There's so many things to do. It's mind-boggling. So I'm always behind. And I'm also insecure that, that I'm going to lose every client tomorrow. It's a good Jewish. That's like, you're doing well, but it could all be gone tomorrow. That's right. Classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session, it's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, kids, do you like operations? It's Wednesday, accounting high, talking systems and processes. Talking shop about operational balances, accounting, workbench to workflow challenges, hybrid teams for Pete's sake. I'm trying to manage through screens, but I can't figure out what Zoom windows my next meeting. And Dr. K says, Acuity uses EOS. Uh huh. Entrepreneurial operating system. Well, since 2012, my firm's been in the cloud. Join us as we go deep. I'll try not to run it to the ground. We're sharing profit and loss and managing back office. The tax staff just quit. Tried to hire on LinkedIn. No luck. And scope creep team count cast. Automate tax, compliance transactions, ID and bottlenecks. Come on, ops. Scotty, wait a minute. It's my firm, dog. I know, and I said you could run it however you want. Hi, classes in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, classes in session. It's time for shopperations. Operations at accounting high. Introducing the star of our show, Jason Ackerman and Scott Scarano. We're going to have a problem here. Very special guest, Ed Mendelitz. I think I said it right. I'm yeah, terrible with names, well, and you're Jewish too, so it, I should but... be able to say it. <laughs> How to get the Jewish names? <laughs> Ed, it's an honor to have you here. You you are you've been around a long time, a, le- a legend in the uh, accounting space. So why we got a lot of wisdom in the room? A lot of wisdom, mostly with Ed, almost none with me. A little bit with Scott. Tell us. I got a little wisdom. <laughs> so tell us how. Let's go back. How did you decide to get into accounting at the very beginning? Well, let me, let me just tell you about wisdom. You. The articles you write in the CPA journal are fantastic. I'm telling you. And the last one you wrote was about two months ago. was overall about practice management. You, you hit it right. He just sent it to me. No, that's the newest one. No, that's the latest one which they're mailing out. I don't know why they sent it out that way. But anyway. <laughs> that's my, what my, You my, write my, it for free, but they send you a free copy. Well, he's in this one. He sent that so to me. Nice no, I'm not in that. They sent, they sent me one. I couldn't find my name in it. So, uh, and I don't think you had an article in there. Well, thank, thank you, Ed. You've written, you just told us you've written 29 books, right? which is amazing. I have one of them 30 here. Books. 30 books. The 30th should be oh, published, oh, but your publisher or your up. editor screwed up. 
Look at that. The time this episode is released, the 30th book will come out. And look, you see, Ed, I actually have things that I wrote. So you know I at least made it to page 173. No, it's okay. I might have not made it all the way through, but I at least made it there. Okay. It's a book that you don't start from the beginning and end at the end. You, You look at it when you have a question to see if I covered it. That's what I like about, and I've got some questions on the questions, but tell us how you got started in accounting at the very well, beginning. My father was a CPA, and when I was a kid- Perfect. Was a, you're a son of CPA too. <laughs> yeah, and when, when I was a kid, all my friends played house or doctor. I played accountant, and I wanted to be an accountant from the earliest I could remember. I wanted to be a CPA like my father, although- uh, not like my father, so to speak. So I never worked for him. But I always wanted to be an so accountant. What so number a... was your, was this in New York where your dad was? I grew up in the Bronx, yeah. In, in Bronx, he had a, pra- he was a sole practitioner. He had an office in the city. He um, would go to clients all day long. And then he would come home at night a little late. He would leave a little later than, than most people. And he would get home a little later. And he would have dinner. And then after dinner, he would call his clients that called him during the day because he was their clients. He couldn't call back. And I would overhear the conversations. I was a kid. And I picture me being six or seven. So I don't know what he's talking about. But it seemed like none of the people he spoke to could make a decision without hearing his advice. And my mother, who typed his tax returns and reports, knew everybody, so he would then explain to my mother what that person wanted. And it seemed to me that my father was a very powerful person because he had all these people who couldn't make decisions without getting his advice. And I wanted to be important and powerful like my father. So that that was my first impression of accounts. Not, of course, he did tax returns. My mother it would be typed all over the house for a month and a half, People would come on Sundays, who I got to know. Uh, every year, they would come on Sundays during taxi and get the tax return because he worked on Saturdays. Financial statements, I didn't know what a financial statement was until I got a little older. But my impression of accounting was what my father did with the advice that he did. And I got to tell you something. As I got older and I learned more, I realized he never got paid for that. And you know something? I don't get paid for that either. We have a new thing in public accounting called bundled services, subscription services. I've been doing that since I started. I would get a client. I've talked about a business client. And I would say, okay, uh, you need a tax return. You need this. You need me to come every month. I would I would add it up. And I'd say, tell you what, it's going to cost, let's talk about a long time ago. Let's say today. Let's say it costs $10,000 a year. Pay me. $833 a month, and it covers everything. And and that was a subscription service. So they you were claimed, doing Fitz price billing before it was super cool. I was doing it. I was really doing it right from the beginning. Fixed price, subscription. I got paid every month. You know, when you get paid every month, you know, when you're on a time bill basis, you, you bill, the say, the 10th, of the previous, of the next month, if you do the service. And then if you're lucky, you get paid by the end of that month. When you send out a bill on March 1st, the check is there by March 8th and 9th. And the way I was, 
if I didn't get the check by the 8th and 9th, I called the client to find out if there was a problem. I'd say, no. I said, well, you didn't pay me. <laughs> we just sent you to just got the, I said, yeah, but that's my salary. You got to pay it right away. And when I merged with them, we had no accounts receivable. <laughs> we had a few, you know. Uh, so do you remember what your dad's CPA number was? It's it's low. No, I don't remember, but it was, um, my number's pretty low. <laughs> I think he was like number. <laughs> what, what's your number? I think it's 24,000 and something in New York yeah, State. Yeah, mine in New York is 108,000. I but think. you know, my father. I bet your dad. I gotta say, my grandfather. Yeah, my grandfather was in New York too. I bet your. I bet his was like really low. No, That'd be cool was, to find out. Well, I, ha I have. A, I have a certificate. It's about eight thousand and something. But you know, my father was CPA. A couple of his brothers were CPAs. I'm a CPA, and my daughter-in-law is a CPA. So we actually have three generations of Menlowitzes that were CPAs in New York. But I'll tell you something that I learned from my father. You, you, you learn, you know, you, my father didn't sit down and say, I'm going to tell you this. My father had a, was admitted to practice before the United States tax court. And he got a certificate one day. And I asked him, what is this? He says, well, you now have to take a test to become admitted. But they grandfathered in anybody that was a CPA that was practicing. So he applied and he got a certificate. He got a admitted to tax court. When I, when I found that out a couple of years after, I found there's a test that CPAs could take, which I took the test and I passed it. They give the test once every two years in Washington, D.C. So I'm admitted to practice before tax court. I actually have tried cases. I tried more cases in tax court than every lawyer in the tax department and my firm combined. <laughs> but in any event, so I found that out from him. He has a, a certificate, which I still have his certificates. So you, you find things out. By the way, I have offered to help people write articles. I've helped 150 people write articles. I've helped over 75 people give their first speech. I have never helped anybody become admitted to practice before the tax court. Not one person has ever took me up on it. So that's one thing this I tried to help number. people with. Maybe I need record? to do that. What's yeah. your record in tax court? You've, you've done a My record in tax court is I tried six cases. One of the cases, I had a, a whole opinion. I lost. I lost every case, by the way. But I... I <laughs> Oh, it's six. That's why nobody took you up on it. No, 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 no. Now, listen, one, one case involves Section 306 stock. And, and I came up with a... I couldn't, I couldn't get a 10% uh, a concession by the IRS. Wouldn't give, me, wouldn't give in on 10%. So I went to court, and I, I gave an argument, which the judge agreed with my argument and said that should be a new test for 306 stock. But he said my client it didn't apply to my client, and he explained why it didn't apply to my client because he was a cheap son of a, and never gave charity. And I said a motive for doing three hundred six like should be charity. So I lost that case, but in my mind I won because I got an opinion. But I did try one case. I can't say I lost it. The, the six cases I lost were with briefs. We're all losing cases. But 
I, I got experience. I helped my client. My clients got the day in court. But I, I must have filed 100 petitions. And of the 100 petitions, I've settled those cases. In fact, one case I just settled uh, a couple months ago was a losing case. And I settled it where I won about 80. I got 80. I, I only, the client had to pay about 20% of what the government wanted. And that's because of my knowledge of the tax court procedures. So it's a great strategy, and it works. But I got to tell you one one time, I was called by somebody three weeks before a trial date. To, she had to go to tax court. So I said, "Fine, I'll handle it." I call up the attorney. I said, I tell, "Ask the attorney for a continuance." He said, "I'm not giving you a continuance." I said, "I just got a vibe." He says, "That client's been stalling for two years. I'm not giving you a continuance." So I met with her, and I met with her witness. And we go to trial, and we're at the trial, and the first person I called as a witness was the IRS agent who had nothing in his file that could substantiate the IRS's position. You can't have a better case than that, right? Then I put my client on the stand, and she's lying like crazy. She's lying. She told me everything, and then she's lying. So the judge... Uh, called the recess. He said, I want to have a recess. He had me and the uh, government's attorney come into the chambers. He said, look, goes to the IRS attorney. You you don't have a case because you're not prepared. And he points to me and says, your client's lying like crazy. You two guys better settle. I said, let's split the difference. He said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you could have won that one. I, I, I love it. I feel she like didn't lie, must be super fun. You learn things. If you have a complicated issue on a tax audit, very complicated issue, and, and let's say it's a losing issue, you could get the briefs of the IRS and the, and the opposing counsel from the tax court, and then you could, it gives you all the arguments on both sides. of the, Then you've got to just look for the crack. So I would say I, I had about, I had at least 100 cases where I filed petitions, with, which where I settled every case except the ones that went to trial. But it, it's a, it's so a how great do credential. You, do you charge by the hour for those cases? I, I charge by the hour when I know I can get a big fee. I had a, a guy just called me now, called me, spoke to him a half, 40 minutes ago. The guy exercised stock, about a million and a half dollars of stock options. A half a million dollars he exercised he was referred by his accountant. No, he was referred by a friend of his who was a friend of mine. The, the guy exercised the, the first third, and the, he had to give the company money for the tax. The other two-thirds, he didn't have to give the company money. So now he owes a fortune in tax. He wanted a second opinion. So first, he does his own return. I says, with this kind of stuff, are you doing your own return? You screwed yourself because you should have an 83B election, number one. And then I said, if you want me to handle it, my minimum fee is five thousand dollars. It doesn't look like it's gonna; it'll be more than that. But my fee is gonna be five thousand dollars. So I don't think he's gonna use me, and I really don't want to help him because he's 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 the kind of guy that thinks he uh, he knows it all. And and now it turns he out he knows more I, than you. Yeah, he also is the I'm the second guy that he spoke to. He's shopping around for for answers. One time, I had a client. Look, most of my fees are fixed fees. I get paid monthly. 
Some of them I adjust at the end of the year. Some of them I do change orders. A construction guy, they do change orders like crazy because they understand the language. But I had one client that I got around 1979, 1980. The fee was $15,000 a year, $1,250 a month. I said, I'm going to charge your retainer $1,250 a month. The first couple of months, something came up, and including me having to go to California to make a presentation to his key people. My time came out to $97,000. When I was all finished, I get back, I call the guy, I say, I want to meet you. He says, why? I says, I, want to, I have to charge you for what I did, and the fee's pretty high, and I want to explain it to you. He says, how much is it? I say, $97,000. I don't have time to discuss it. Give the bill to Dan, who was the controller. I got paid two days later. <laughs> so you got to use your judgment. Look, I'm in business, and, and I'm not in business. I love accounting. Believe me, I love it, but it's, but it's not a hobby. It's a business. You know what kind of money I have to make? I have to make a living. I have to be able to fully fund my pension plan. I have to have money to grow my practice. And then I like to have some profits now and then. So if I'm making that, I'm doing okay. And, and I charge the fees accordingly. And, and there are some people who will pay you by the hour. And there's some people who most people won't. And you got to use your judgment. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes you, you do stupid things and you learn. I, I got a guy referred to me by the pizza guy, by the guy in a pizza restaurant many years ago. He, he had a friend that had a big tax, you know, $100,000 estate in New Jersey. He explained it to me. It's something I could have fixed with a phone call. So the guy client calls me up, potential client. He tells me the issue. I'm telling you, I could have made a phone call and maybe a letter. He says, what do I charge? I said, I charge 500 an hour. That was the end of the conversation. If I would have told him I charge $1,500, I would have got it. So now I don't, there's not a single client I have today that knows my rate. No one, I, I have not quoted a single rate to any job I've done at least in the last five years. So I, I am a proponent. At the hardest of, time pricing these days. No, you know, I'll tell you what I did. I, well, I just, pricing. I just, you're, you're, yeah, go ahead. Well, you're, you're amazing because you've been, you've basically been learning how to value price for 50 years. So you've gotten really good at it. More than 50. <laughs> <laughs> so, but thank you. <laughs> I want to ask you, how do you know when you're talking with a client, what's a good way to know if they're going to be a good client or they're not going to be a good client? Well, when I had my practice, any client that paid me a fee was a good client. It didn't matter what the fee was. They paid me, and they paid me every month. That was a good client. There, there were people I took as clients. You know, I never never took people that, that were, you know, cheated or anything, but there were some people that are not nice. I, I once saw a client, a client and a son physically fighting and wrestling with each other in their <laughs> office. And I have a witness. My partner was with me. <laughs> When he saw this, this is a guy I would have never wanted as a client, but it was a very good client, very high fee, 
very interesting work, and the fact whether I liked them or didn't like them was not relevant. I, I did a great job for them. They appreciated it. They paid me my fees. It was all fixed fees. I handled one tax order for them. Where the time came out to about 17 grand, and the deal that I had at that time was everything was fixed except tax audits. The time was 17 grand. I had a meeting with my two partners. How am I going to ask them for 17 grand? So uh, we got. I got a meeting with one of the partners, and, and I tell them what the result was. And then the guy says, "What you face? I'm, I'm in charge of 35 thousand dollars." My partner almost fell off the chair. The client says, well, how much time did you spend? I said, tell me what part of the result you did not like. He says, I'll give you a check now. <laughs> it, it's, I love that. So you, you're in business. I guess, yeah. So basically, it sounds like you'll take any client if there's if they pay you the right amount. Is there is there like a line where you'll fire a client if they do something well, let me put it this way. Bad or where's the line? Now, now I don't take any client. Now I'm, I'm, I'm very picky of what I want to do. But when I had my practice, we took everything that came our way. And, and I could talk for hours of, of the work we did. We took a mutual, I took a mutual fund, public company mutual fund client, and, and didn't know what we were doing. And, and I got killed on the fee. And that was about 19 years ago, and it's still a client or with them today. And I've been with, actually, it's probably 20 years ago. So I, I, I didn't exactly get killed on the fee. If a client is litigious, I don't want them at all. I, I don't care who they are. I don't care how good the fee is. A client that likes to sue people, I wouldn't take. And anybody that is breaking the law, brown out breaking the law with, ta you know, Look, I've had crooks as clients. They have to file taxes. In fact, I wrote an article in 19... <laughs> you talk about I've been around. In 1980, I wrote an article of the dilemma that accountants have when they, do, when they want to do a tax return for a crook. I'll give you an example. You have a drug dealer. Let's say the drug dealer wants to report a quarter million dollars income. Put down a quarter million dollars income, you left out his gross, his gross income is wrong. If you put down his gross income was a half a million and he spent two fifty, his net is two fifty, you can't substantiate the two fifty. You can't substantiate the two fifty of his expenses. So we have a big problem with taking these people as clients. Usually now we would take the the lawyer would hire us. But I I've taken almost everybody and then when you start dealing with them, I had one guy as a client. Very, very good client. My initial work was a lot of money. It was on a time basis. I, my mind, it was a $25,000 job. Time came out to like sixty grand. I got paid every penny. But then I found out that they're doing things illegally. And I didn't want him as a client anymore. So I had lunch with him. And I said, look, if I was you, I would not hire me because I'm going to make you do everything straight. And, and you can't switch to that cold turkey <laughs> and then I got a call two hours later from the bookkeeper that they decided to use somebody else <laughs> so I dropped the, I dropped you might they say I dropped continue the their illicit activity so, uh, you, look you, you don't want to get in trouble and you, you don't want to put your, your 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 fortune and your life at risk by dealing with 
people that are, that are dishonest or, or out and out breaking the law, and that is stupid. So you got to use your judgment and um, not not take them. And if you find out, you got to you can't compromise. Also, if you have staff working for you, the staff pick up on what you do. And if you compromise, you've just told every staff person working for you that it's okay to compromise. And and we're in it for the long haul. You're a young guy. You're building a business. And you can't build a business on a shaky foundation. And the shaky foundation is every time you compromise on anything. If you have audit checklists for, for a personal, fi- not an audit check, a checklist for a personal financial statement, and you tell the staff person, skip it, let's get it out, you just compromised, and you destroyed part of your system for that person. You can't compromise at all. You know, I did a podcast a, a, a couple of weeks ago. I did a podcast with Ron uh, Shaharan, Prophet First. Saharian. Saharian. Yeah. We did a podcast. Ron Saharian. I was describing someone who worked for me for 10 years, and, and it turns out that, that he knew her, and, and his wife worked for me also for a couple of years. The wife overheard the conversation. And I got to tell you, the staff person worked for me 10 years. So we reconnected. She sent me a letter and she told me, she thanked me. This is a week ago. This is last week. She thanked me for, for teaching her about processes and checklists and keeping things in order and doing things right. And Ron sent me an email that his wife mentioned to him that she learned a lot about processes and systems. There's two unsolicited things I got last week. And the key to my success is having systems and processes. It sounds like you got integrity too, which is a hard thing to measure. But if you have it, people know it. They they know it. They remember it. Well, they may not know it, but I can tell you what they definitely know when you don't have it. That's what you got to look for. You can't walk around saying, I got integrity, but but you can't do anything that lessens people's confidence in you. It shakes that foundation, too. Like that's what it is. Yeah, that's why it's hard to measure, though, because, yeah, you can't go around saying, I've got integrity, because usually the people that say that have the worst integrity. They're the ones who are lying, you know, yeah. just about that, too. Well, Ed, tell, sounds like you have a lot of client stories. Tell us, like, the craziest <laughs> client story. Like, what's your go-to oh, crazy yeah. client story? Well, not the go- yeah, the one that you don't tell anybody. So I bet you've got, got a the hot scoop here. Yeah, we got the, uh, the hot scoop. Well, I, 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 one guy, I get, a, I get a guy as a client, and it turns out he had five accounting firms in five years before me. It's a big company. Red flag. So, so, no, no, I get the client. In fact, the client before me was Tush Ross when they were one of the big eight. Now, it's whatever it is now, but... So that's a prestige thing. I get a client that Tush Ross was the accountant. So I'm working on everything looks good. About two months after, two, three months after I'm the accountant, guy calls, calls, sets up a meeting. He says, I forgot to tell you something. If I have to pay taxes, you're gone. I says, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, he says, I says, if I have to pay taxes, you're fired. I said, you got a big company. you got four, over 400 people working for you. He says, well, if I have to pay taxes, you're gone. You see, you saw my history with the other firms. You think you're any better than them? Prove it. So that was the meeting. I walked out of there and shook up. I called the guy three weeks later. 
I said, I had a meeting where I said, I'm going to tell you how you don't have to pay taxes for the next two years, but you got to do every single thing I say. And if you don't do everything I say, you're going to end up paying taxes. I want you to now tell me that it's not going to be my fault. It'll be your fault. He says, what is it? He says, you have to buy a TV station between five and $10 million. He says, that's all I got to do. I said, yes. Thank you. Two or three weeks later, he calls me, I had a meeting. He says, here's a contract I just signed to buy the CBS affiliate in Erie, Pennsylvania for six and a half million dollars. If I got to pay taxes, you're toast. <laughs> and, and so he did that. He didn't pay t- and then I had him build a TV station in Little Rock, Arkansas, and that wiped out his taxes. So for, for a period of, this lasted seven or eight years, we didn't pay any tax. All kosher, legitimate. So what happens in the year he paid tax? Did he fire you? No, no. What happened, we, we sold the company. And I made a small fortune. See, here's another example. of It was on a time basis. I helped him negotiate the sale. My time to help, this, to help him negotiate was 27000 and change. This is like 1986, 87, something like that. So I go to him. The day after, you know, I said, look, I told you I'm going to charge you on time. The time is 27200 Here's the bill. I want a $200,000 bonus. He says, well, you know, I had to pay big fees to the investment banker. I had to pay big fees. I said, look, I want $200,000 bonus. The next day, he wired $100,000 to my checking account. So I got 100000 I went to God. So he got the deal. <laughs> so, he got, so, he got the deal. So you only got half? I got $27,000, well, which was my deal. <laughs> plus the extra you know, money was, you know, I made a deal. I made a deal bonus. to do it on a time. I didn't make a deal to get a bonus. If I made a deal to get a bonus, my integrity is compromised because my job now becomes to make sure the deal closes. How could I be independent and advise them? If I'm getting paid, if the deal closes, think about that. You know, you know, a friend no, called. In your I, mind, I spoke was, to was, a friend. What hundred was? What? Were a, you excited about the one hundred? No, I'll expect, tell you what happened. Too? No, I was pissed off because what happened? My partner did not tell me <laughs> that the hundred thousand got wired in, and I was pissed off at this guy for months that he didn't give me what I asked for. And then when our, fis- <laughs> our, our fiscal year ended June 30th, this happened like in December. And then, uh, and then in June, in, in June we had our annual meeting. We had two partners, and, and we split up the money. And I was ready to tell these guys that I was going to leave. And uh, we we looked at the we had a half a million dollar profit that we split up between the three of us. And according to half a million was the hundred that this guy sent me. That's when I found out. I said, I could, "Why don't you tell me? He sent in a hundred thousand." He says, I didn't tell you because I thought you'd want to split it up at that point. I wanted to save it till June. And I ended up leaving that partnership a couple years after that when I had enough money. I said, I had enough money. I don't need this anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> but we you, didn't, we so didn't, we didn't, a partner. we didn't fight. We didn't have any fights when I left. You know, I left and we still remained friends and um, life goes on. So how many different partnerships have you had? Well, let me tell you, I started by myself, and then I 
formed a partnership with two other guys, and me and another guy left the third guy. I went in with Jack Jack and Cy. I left Jack and Cy, and Cy asked if he could come with me. So on January 1st, 1974, Cy Siegel and I started a firm, Siegel and Mendelitz. We didn't know if we were going to make a living my because my, we left the other practice. My wife was typing the bills at home, and we made a fortune that year. We made a, we made a lot of money, and then we started to build a practice. And I left on January on June 30th, 1984, 1988. We had 50 people. We had a third partner, and we had 50 people in the firm, total people, and we made a lot of money making hundreds of thousands of dollars. In fact, the Wall Street Journal wrote an article about us in 1981, how successful we were. And I left. I had enough money. I had enough of this craziness. I had enough of the the, the dealings, what goes on. Plus, I... What, what was the craziness? Well, I wanted to expand the practice. And they didn't want... They, they, I, to expand, you got to make investment. There's a lot of investments you have to make if you want to grow a business. I wanted, we needed new facilities. We needed an IT person. This is 1988. We needed a marketing person. We needed more structure and we needed to make a big investment. Yet we needed to be peer reviewed, which nobody was doing at that time. We needed an audit reviewer, which we didn't have. We were doing audit work. So I got to the point that you know, I wasn't fighting with my partners, but we weren't friends. We were friends. We weren't friends. Well, I didn't have that that zip, so to speak, and I had enough money. So what I did is I downsized by by leaving the practice. And I, f- I formed a small firm with Peter Whiteson on Ju- on July first, nineteen eighty eight, and Peter and I merged in with with him on on January first, two thousand five. So I had had a good run. I was partners with Cy Siegel from nineteen seventy. To 1988, and then partners with Peter Whiteson and Frank Boudelat, well, Peter from 1988 till today. I speak to Peter almost every day. I'll give you an example. When I merged with Peter, we started the firm with Peter. In fact, Peter's on the phone right now. Make <laughs> 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 it up. No, no, no. Uh, when, uh, uh, when Peter, and I, the devil. Peter and I had lunch together every day when we were both in the office. I never had lunch with, with my two partners when I was in New York. I would have lunch at minimum of once a week with the, with staff who were in the office. You know, you have staff that you become friends with or, or like. So I had my group of guys that we would have lunch with whenever we could in the office. Usually I was with clients. Three or four days a week I had lunch with clients. But I never had lunch with my partners. But Peter, and, and then when Frank became a partner, we always had lunch together. So that's a little different in the tone and it makes a difference in uh, in, in your work environment so to speak so i can't what tell was you... the biggest argument you ever had with a partner what was what was it over i don't think i, I had one argument with peter and the whole time we were partners and i'm not going to tell you about that and uh, and that and that and, <laughs> no and that ended like and, and I, save it I, for the book <laughs> no, that doesn't go anywhere. And with Cy and Paul, I don't think I'd, I never had a. I don't think I ever had an argument with them. 
or with Jack, we never had an argument. But I, I guess, guess not an argument. Well, sometimes but what it's was, not about argument. Sometimes it's what was the biggest disagreement? Resentment. Like yeah. what was what well, was the, the biggest disagreement? Was that we weren't structured. When I was with with uh, Cy and Paul, look, we had fifty. We had three partners. We had it was a fifty person firm. We're working hard. You think about. It. By the way, Cy Siegel was a, was a full time. Cy Siegel became a full time salesman. The day that we started Siegel and Mendelowitz, he was a full-time salesman. He would help out at night with the work. I didn't mind doing the work. I didn't, I didn't want to go to lunches. I didn't want to go to dinners. We had a very good relationship. But think about this. On January 1st, 1974, one of my partners in a two-person firm was a full-time salesman. How much precedent, how many people did that before us? I'll tell you something else. In my New York practice... In 1986, we hired a full-time administrator. Today, he'd be a COO. We hired a guy full-time to run our practice. In fact, when I left my practice in 1988, that administrator was making 150 k and our tax manager was making 150 k So I had two employees making that much money. So you want to grow, you, you got you to gotta build infrastructure. You got to do it right. And my two partners didn't want to do it. So I, I didn't see growth in the practice. I didn't see, I, I figured computers were going to be the future. And I didn't see us in that space. You know, by the way, I had a, my, I bought my first PC in, 2000, in 1982. And then I made my firm into, we bought PCs for the firm in 1984. I also hired in, well, the, you got to invest. in 1993, we hired a full-time salesman who was not a CPA. So I have a lot of things that I was innovative with in the profession. And I wrote about it and I gave speeches about it, that we were we were ahead of the curve. It took with them, it took us five or six years of being with them until they hired the first salesperson. I had a salesperson 15 years before with them hired their first. By the way, my chargeable rate when I merged them with them was 50 bucks an hour higher than than the comparable chargeable rate that Witham was charging. I found out because when I merged in, the day after I merged in, they said, well, this is my rate. I'll make your rate $5 low. Is that okay? I said, that's your rate. My rate is this. Make your rate $5 higher than that. And that raised all their rates. <laughs> <laughs> so at what point did you know you were ahead of the curves or that you were like, I, did you always, like, cause it seems like you're always trying to keep up with it. Right. Did you ever doubt yourself that you were still felt like you were behind? I'm behind every, every day I'm behind. There's so much out there. There's so many things to learn. There's so many things to do. It's mind boggling. So I'm always behind and I'm also insecure Good that, answer. that I'm going to lose every client tomorrow. So I got to, do the things that if the client was going to drop me, why would they drop me? And then I got to make sure that that's they don't. That's a good Jewish. That's like a Jewish thing. Growth minds. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a you, good. You, you have to think you're doing well, but it could all be gone tomorrow. That's right. You lose it all <laughs> tomorrow. That's right. And, and what I, what I wanted to do, I felt, I figured out at one point, you know, I was thinking of leaving. Um, I left the practice in New York. My first practice with Jack although Cy came with me, but I started figuring out what clients I could take, what clients 
I wouldn't take what the fees were, the, the budgets, all, all this other stuff. And then I realized that if, if I could hold on to what I got, I'm never going to do bad. I, I may not do great, but I'm never going to do bad. So I always worked to, to service the clients. Where I wanted to wow the clients at every meeting. Every every interaction, I wanted to wow them. And, and I worked hard at that. I worked at it, and I did that. If I got lead, I was never good at developing leads. Cy Siegel was the best of developing leads. I can tell you stories about him that magic. He, he was, and he remembered every name and everything. So he would get the lead, and then I would do the work and get the client. Then we brought in Paul Rich as a partner. So he, he handled the workload. So when I left, it was basically Cy, Paul and I were handling like 90% of the work. And Cy was handling 10% because he was the, the salesman. We grew from nothing to 50 people without buying a single client, without merging into practice, nothing. It was all done organically or, or with, with new business. So if you keep what you got, you service the clients. Also, I had a lot of people working for me, a lot. And, and I, I found out that if I can keep them, I'm richer than if I don't keep them. And I hired people out of school and trained them because I wanted things done my way. I did a retreat. I did a, um, a virtual retreat last summer. I did two, two retreats, uh, two three-day retreats online. And I told them something. Maybe this applies to you, Jason. If you hire somebody at a, at a, high, at a, at a salary level, whatever salary level you hire them, let's say, and then you train them to do the work. At what point would you give them a raise? Now, I used to give raises every six months because the people I was training every six months were worth more than they were worth when I hired them. And I never wanted them to leave because of money. Now, a guy that I did the retreat with last summer sent me an email last week that he had somebody that he trained and they, they learned all their systems and everything. And they left there for eight months because they got a higher salary. Now, I told them, you you got to give the salary that the people are worth, not what they were worth when, they, when you hired them, but they're worth after you made your investment in them, they now own that value. And I never, oh, look, I mentioned this woman who worked for me for 10 years. When I merged in with, with them, two of the people that merged in with, with them left, they left um, in 2019. I merged in in 2005. So these are people who worked for me for three years, and then I merged in, and they worked with, with them 14, 14 more years. When I had my New York practice, if we lost people that we hired out of school, it was like an event that, we, that people talked about. Nobody quit. I gave raises every six months. You work overtime, you get paid for the hour. You work this week overtime, it's the next week's paycheck. I, I was not a pleasant guy to work for, to be honest with you. But I, I paid very well. I, people went home at night feeling that they did a good job and that they learned. And the fact that I was an didn't matter. <laughs> and, and my job was to make sure that people followed the processes and followed the procedures. So, Ed, tell us what the biggest thing that's changed in accounting since you started. I'll tell you the biggest thing that hasn't changed. The stupidness of the bosses. 
What, what, you know, look, I could, <laughs> no, no, I could tell you that technology has changed. Yeah, technology has changed. Are the nice bosses stupid? What? No, all the bosses are stupid. Well, I'll you tell said, you why. Yeah. Because everybody that complains about the millennials or the Generation X, in fact, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. The staff today are no different than the staff when I started. By the way, three with them is making 17 partners uh, on July 1st. Five of those 17 partners started with, with them. Two of them started as interns. I know three of the five very well. They're great people. They're great kids. And they started with the firm. There's opportunities. And what we do is we destroy the opportunities for, for, for most of the people, except, for, quote, some of the people who stick it out. We have, we have made the hours for the staff longer. We, we, we put more time pressure on them. And we, we don't give them time to grow and to learn, even though it's in every, all the brochures. One of the big four firms has a, uh, in fact, I saw her speak, she, uh, CEO, talk about how, how good they are for, for women that have babies. They're a great firm to work for women with babies. My partner's daughter worked for them for eight years. She had a baby, and when she came back to work after she had the baby, her boss said to her, look, we know you had the baby and you don't want to probably work as many hours. You only have to clock 50 hours a week. She quit. <laughs> she, she left public accounting. She was heartbroken. And she has a job. She's doing well, but she's, she's not happy. She, 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 wanted, she loved public accounting. The big four firm that promotes how great they are for women stinks. And it's a lie. And they don't follow through with what they say. We have part-time partners that are with them. We have plenty of part-time women partners, and they part, with them part, always been partners, I mean, not not staff partners that are part-time. We had a woman partner with had a baby last year. They've been they're really great. They're really a great firm. But um, so what has changed is the things that haven't changed. What hasn't changed is is the attitudes to towards staff. Yeah, I'll tell you what happened when I started. The bosses re ruled, ruled the roost. It was harder to get jobs. Today, it's hard to get staff. And we have the mentality that, that the staff have to kiss our to get the job. That That's not the case anymore. And we got to treat them. You know, look, if I, I'm talking about 25 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I was paying overtime for tax season by the hour. They paid straight time to the professionals. But everybody else was given a, a fictitious bonus or some hocus-pocus stuff. And I gave raises every six months for at least three years. And I, we told us that every six months you're going to get a raise for three years. Then you go on an annual basis. Tell me what's wrong with that. I, I'm, I invest a lot of money training people. I put my heart and soul into it. And then I want them to work for me for less than they can get somewhere else when I could just easily afford it. So that's that's what's changed. But the consulting, you, you do, I'm sure, I don't really know how you spend your day, Jason, but I'm sure you do more consulting in, in your pinky than large firms do in their whole body. And you probably don't charge for that, but it's part of your overall relationship with the client and you have a, probably have a fixed fee, a subscription fee. And at the end of the year, if you feel you got to make more money, you jump everybody up a certain amount of money. 
and you're very happy unless there's a specific project. By the way, in in my fixed fee, if there was a special project, I always charge you actually for the special project. I'm, I'm not stupid. Just... <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I would I tell you just be, described it. It's great. You know, sometimes I I would tell yeah. beforehand, but lots of times I would when the job was over, I say, look, it took me longer. I thought I'm charging X dollars, and and if you bought once you bargain a fee, once you 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 tell the client that you didn't give them your best price, so I don't bargain, which could frustrate a lot of people. <laughs> I I agree. I don't. That's what when someone tries to negotiate, Never. I say I don't negotiate. Never negotiate. I but I think your key is like. You just have to talk with your client and explain to them, you know, hey, we had to do this extra work. This is why it's going to cost more. Ninety-nine percent of the time, they're cool with it. I don't, like I you said, they'll wire you a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, well, uh, I probably could if I would have called them up when it came in. I would have thanked them and said, "But I, you could have could have done a little better." But I didn't know about it. <laughs> He's probably he might have been upset. I didn't thank him. <laughs> yeah, he was. He probably was. <laughs> you probably had a little grudge. Yeah, yeah. I had a little tip on your well, shoulder. You know, for the next six months. If you don't ask, you don't get. But I'm not going to hold something against somebody if if they don't look. I'm very big on sticking to the deal. I'm helping a guy sell his business. When you help someone sell a business, it, it's all I I do it on a fixed fee basis. I I broke it into into phases. The last phase I charged him fifteen grand for, and the last phase there was a lot of extra work I had to do because of the um, the buyer. But the extra work I'm going to do is probably going to get the client more than half a million dollars extra money. So I sent them an email. I sent them an email Friday that I'm going to have to charge him extra. I I, I, charge, I said I have to charge you seventy five hundred dollars extra. These are the reasons. And if you want to discuss it, give me a call. And about an hour later, he sent back an email. Okay, but, so but what, you got it. Last you, question. Yeah, because you got to go. You got to make some money. You're not making any money on this thing. What? What's your favorite part of accounting that you do or tax? You you've done it all. What's your favorite? I like every single thing I've done. Everything. I I've got every certification by the uh, AICPA. I give them speeches and everything. I was a team captain. For peer reviews, I, I'm admitted. I've tried cases at tax court. I set up course systems for clients. I've done everything. I liked every single thing that I do about public health. That was my problem. I never developed a niche. I never developed a specialty. I don't think it was a problem. Because I did everything. <laughs> By the way, Not let me let me give one. I don't think it was a problem. Let, let me tell you one one more tip. Write out an engagement Perfect. letter. And and when you write it out, whether you're going to send it to the client or not, if you can't put in writing what you're going to do for the client and why and justify the fee you're asking for, that then you don't have your act together. Write it out, whether you send it to the client or not. Write out an engagement letter for the client. I find that very powerful. It's very helpful personally. So I'll leave you with that parting, you're parting word. Okay, dear. <laughs> Give some most of the people who listen. To well, this. here's the, here's my takeaways in this is invest in yourself and invest in your people. So really, just invest in people. You know, invest in your firm, invest in people, and the payoff will be wealth. That's right. That's that. That's the invest formula. Invest in yourself, and you will be wealthy. Okay, Ed, tell us. So we uh, most of the people who listen to this are own a firm or 
thinking about owning a firm. If you were starting a firm from scratch, give us some advice on some things. You know, you already talked about process and stuff, but give us a little more ad advice on something get, to close. Get a out. client where you could get a check every month. Get that get that annuity business. The annuity business is your income, is your living, and is your equity. I, I know people that want to go into like forensic accounting where they can maybe make some big fees out of it, but but there's no equity. And and every job you get, you're not gonna say, where am I gonna get the next one? This the CAS work that everybody's talking about is is how I started my practice, and I was embarrassed to tell people I did write-ups. That's the key because you get a check every month. You're never going to starve, if, no matter what the size of the check is. You're getting a check every month. That's, That's what I good. advise people Ed, to do. You, you are the best. Ed, you, uh, you try to I fund that, your pension, but are you ever going to retire? Like you're just yeah, you're never going to retire. You're going to be like Sid Cast. You're just going to be. The, the, you're going to be at the AICPA engage every year, just hanging out. Well, I got two people that asked me if I were going to retire. My wife and Bill Hagerman, who's <laughs> the magic partner with him. <laughs> I'm, I'm having fun. I'm enjoying what I do. Don't forget, I'm not involved with a lot of the compl- I'm not involved with the clients. Prolific writer. Yeah. So, so Ed, tell us, so we can go to edmendlowitz.com and buy your books. No, Is that no, the best weird, no, no. way to go? The books are at CPA Trendline. I don't want to promote the books. If they can't figure out that they should buy my book, then they sh- then it's not for them. <laughs> but, but I'm gonna I'm gonna email you I'm gonna email you the checklist file and my practice continuation kit, and you can make it available to your list. With my compliments. Okay. Just that, will, just we'll, that we'll you can't that just notes. that you can't sell it. My gift to my colleagues. and you are amazing. We 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 could have you on every day. You've got the best stories. I, that's time I come to New York. I'm uh, you. You live in this New Jersey. Wealth live in New Jersey. Of, yeah. of wealth right here. A wealth no. of information. No. I got another story about my father's fees, but I guess we could wait for that. <laughs> no, no. Tell, okay, end on that. I, I want to hear it. Yeah. Two two summers ago, the summer of 2020, I had to clean out all my stuff of a warehouse. I went through a box with my father's stuff, and I found his little ledger books. A little of what his fees were. And his biggest client, he was getting $5 a month. And and he started in 1938 getting $5 a month. And in 1943, he raised it uh, a little bit. So from 38, 39, for five years straight, he did not get an increase. Because I was born in 42. I guess he needed some more money, so he raised it a little. When my father died, he <laughs> well, was... Well, that was World War II, too. Yeah. Probably... Uh, and when my father died... <laughs> couldn't raise rates then. This guy was my father's largest client. But the point is, you got to raise the fee every year. Your expenses go up every year. And when you raise the fee, you're not increasing the fee. You're passing on your increased costs. If you raise the fee 15 or 20%, that's increase. You raise it 3 to 7%, that's passing on your increased costs. And you got to do that or you fall behind. Okay, I'll end with that. Ed, Lots it's been of amazing. Wisdom. I'm going to, next time I come to New York, we're going to have lunch. I'll okay, take you looking to forward to it. <laughs> thank, thank you. It's been amazing. Thanks, thank you. Be take well. care. Take care. Hi, class is in. Hi. Session it's time for shop operations at accounting. Hi.
right, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, kids. Do you like operations? It's Wednesday. Accounting high, talking systems and processes. Talking shop about operational balances, accounting, workbench to workflow challenges, hybrid teams for Pete's sake. I'm trying to manage through screens, but I can't figure out what Zoom windows my next meeting. And Dr. K says, Acuity uses EOS. Uh huh. Entrepreneurial operating system. Well, since 2012, my firm's been in the cloud. Join us as we go deep. I'll try not to run it to the ground. We're sharing profit and loss and managing back office. Attack staff just quit. Tried to hire on LinkedIn. No luck. And scope creep team count cast. Automate tax, compliance transactions, ID and bottlenecks. Come on, ops. Scotty, wait a minute. It's my firm, dog. I know, and I said you could run it however you want. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi, class is in session. It's time for shopperations at accounting. Hi.